I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Compared to some other ethnic groups, Palestinian Americans may not have great numbers here in Middle Tennessee, but they are neighbors, business owners, leaders, and their roots here go back decades. And while it hasn't always been easy to connect with each other, younger Palestinians are making their voices heard. Later this hour, we'll talk with different generations and learn how they form and maintain community. But first, the Tennessee General Assembly adjourned Friday night after about a month of what was a pretty intense session. In the last weeks, there were protests, expulsions, a sexual harassment unveiled that led to one lawmaker resigning. And to talk about all of that and the actual legislation that was passed this year, we have our state Capitol Hill reporter, Blaze Gady, with us. Hey, Blaze, how's it going? It's going good. Awesome. Thank you for being here, sir. So before we get to all the drama, you know, let, let's focus on the big picture first. What are some of the highlights from the budget the General Assembly passed this year? Yeah, so the budget is the only thing that legislators have to pass during session, although we usually speak about the policies that they pass, uh, which this year they managed to pass close to 600 bills. Uh, but one of them was the $56.2 billion budget for the upcoming fiscal year. In that is money set aside to fund a comprehensive school safety bill that funds at least one school resource officer at every school. That idea came straight from the governor's office. Uh, they also passed a measure that will increase K-12 through teacher base pay to $50,000 by 2026 and a $3.3 billion Transportation Modernization Act that allows the state to partner with private companies to build toll roads in the state. Now, culture wars were a big part of the session early on. The legislative legislature passed several bills that were targeted at the LGBTQ community. There was the banning of gender-affirming care for minors, as well as a ban on drag shows in public. What's going on with those bills now? Yeah, both of those are being challenged uh, in court over their constitutionality. The drag show ban was challenged almost immediately, and the courts decided to put an injunction on it before it took effect. As for the gender-affirming care law, that's also in court now after the ACLU sued, and that lawsuit argues that the law is discriminatory and will have the dev a devastating effect on the state's trans kids. Mm. Now on abortion. Republicans have been divided on how to amend Tennessee's all-out ban. Some Republicans were open to adding more explicit exceptions for things like rape, incest, and fetal anomalies. What did the end legislature end up settling on? Yeah, so they settled on uh, very narrow exceptions to the state's abortion ban, which is among the strictest in the country. The law allows for doctors to perform abortions for miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies, as well as save the life of the pregnant person. Uh, Democrats had wanted to add rape and incest exceptions, but couldn't get it through the Republican-led legislature. Okay, so even to outsiders, it seems that the whole country is now looking at Tennessee State House as an, as an example of extreme polarization. We've seen it in our national politics. National media descended on Nashville to cover the expulsions of two young black Democratic lawmakers earlier this month. Tell me, Blaze, what's your takeaway from what happened with the Tennessee Three? Well, in case any of our listeners have been living under a rock, I'll hmm. back up a little bit. So Representatives Gloria Johnson, Justin J. Pearson, and Justin Jones all faced expulsion for leading gun control protests on the House floor, and only the two Justins were expelled. 
And that really backfired for Republicans. It brought a lot of scrutiny amongst the party, with some people calling the decision racist. Uh, it also prompted reporters to start digging into Republican leaders. We now have questions about where House Speaker Cameron Sexton really lives. And just last week, we found out that before the expulsion even took place, a lawmaker was in trouble for sexual harassment allegations against two interns. But the expulsions also led to an increase in funding for Democrats. Whether this makes a difference when we get to elections in 2024 is still unknown. But for people across the state, they seem to be more politically involved. Mm. Now, you know, Blaze, at the beginning of the session, we saw a lot of legislation that was looking to relax our already relaxed gun laws. It wasn't until the Covenant school shooting and those expulsions, which were related to gun control protests, that they paused those initiatives. But now Republicans are being asked to create stricter gun laws in the state. Is that possible with this current legislature? Probably not. You know, the mm. Republican base has gotten so used to Second Amendment absolutism, there isn't a lot of room for compromise in their mind. But that's hard to sell uh, here in Nashville, where the shooting happened, to protesters largely made up of mothers who just really don't want their kids being shot at or killed in schools. Um, but Representative Jason Zachary, a Republican, was on talk radio this morning saying the state still does not need red flag laws. And, you know, as for what will happen in the future, we'll just really have to wait and see. Now, late in the session, the governor put out language that would have expanded the state's extreme risk protection order, more commonly known as red flag laws, used to confiscate guns from people that could cause harm to themselves or others. Why did that effort stall? And where does it go next? Yeah, as I mentioned before, you know, Republicans are really against the idea. Uh, definitely the House Republicans, they have doubled down since the governor released that plan or proposed language and have said that it's unlikely that it would never pass uh, as long as the legislature has the current makeup. But Governor Bill Lee announced hours after session adjourned last week that he'd be calling lawmakers back to Nashville to work on passing some sort of extreme risk protection order. Uh, whether it will get done or not will be interesting to watch as the governor and legislature seem to be engaged in a sort of power struggle. Mm. Now, Blaze, you've been there from the opening of the session up until this point, hoofing the beat. Tell yeah. us, what's the wildest memory you have of this ses session? You know, it's really hard to come up with one moment. I will probably never forget exactly how loud the protesters were when I was sitting in the Senate. Um, you could just hear it through the walls. You could It almost felt like a wall of sound. Mm. Um, but, you know, things were happening back to back. I think just last Thursday when the allegations against uh, Scotty Campbell came out, that was sort of the moment where I just said, you know, this is madness, essentially. It was like the meme with the dog sitting in fire, drinking his coffee, <laughs> and the whole house is on fire around him. Is is That's how it felt at that moment. Uh, it's become really all jumbled up together, so much so that at sometimes I forget that earlier in session, the first scandal or thing that came out was that Senator Randy McNally was on Instagram liking pictures of uh, nearly unclothed men. Mm. He is always calm under chaos. That is WPLN's political reporter, Blaze Ganey. Thank you for this update, Blaze, and we'll see you pretty soon, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll be back in a special session soon. All right. 
We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet some members of our local Palestinian-American community and discuss the diversity of this community here in Middle Tennessee. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. For decades, Palestinian Americans have been here in Middle Tennessee, living as important members of our community, as business owners, leaders, and neighbors. But they haven't always been that visible. In part, that's because the community here just isn't as large as some other groups or as organized. But a sense of kinship has been there from the start even if finding each other hasn't always been easy. My next guest may very well be one of the first Palestinian Americans to arrive in Middle Tennessee. Dr. Abdallah M. Issa, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you. So tell me, when did you first arrive in Nashville? I came to Nashville on July 29, 1969. Okay. I came from San Francisco, because I spent five years at University of California at Berkeley and the medical center in San Francisco. After graduating from the medical center, I took one year training, and then I moved to Nashville to start to make a living. Okay, so tell me, you moved to Nashville, 1969. What did you think of Nashville at that time? I thought it was a little depressing. Forgive me to say it that way, because, you know, coming from two cosmopolitan cities, Beirut, Lebanon, and San Francisco, very cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. and come to Nashville was very much like a little provincial town. You go on West End Avenue, Municipal Southern Fried Chicken, and in the Arnold Southern Fried Chicken, there was one Spanish restaurant. La Vizcaya. All of a sudden, it disappeared. Hmm. And then there were very few people. I mean, I could count the number of cars and trucks on I-40. Okay. I that on one hand. And now look at it. So there was a transformation from a provincial town to an overcrowded city. Hmm. Now, Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I want to ask you about your experience. You come from, you know, Beirut right. and then San Francisco. As you said, very cosmopolitan towns with a lot happening, a lot of people connected, a lot of movers and shakers. And you come to Nashville, which is entirely different. What was that experience like for you getting adjusted to being here? It was a little down feeling. I mean, what? Well, why did I decide to come here? But the reasons I came to Nashville, because San Francisco was becoming a little dangerous to live in. We were living about a mile from Haight-Ashbury, and Haight-Ashbury was a wonderful place where the hippies were, very intellectual. All of a sudden, it changed from intellectual people crime center USA. Mm-hmm. There was a killing every night at Ashburn. 
Okay. Number one. Number two, I will see the Black Panthers were marching with the loaded guns on Lincoln Way, a major thoroughway in San Francisco. Uh, I, I don't want to live in this environment. I don't want my kids to be exposed to this environment. A question for you. You see, you said you saw the Black Panthers out there with their guns. Did that bring it back feelings of, you know, when you were in other parts of the world, not not in the United States? Oh, yes. I'll tell you why. Because when I was growing up in Beirut, Lebanon, if you were caught with a switchblade, you go to jail for six months. Mm. Six months in jail. Six months. Wow. With a switchblade. But now, of course, everybody has a machine gun. Mm. <laughs> okay, so you moved here with your young family. Were there other pal- Palestinians here in Nashville then? There was only one I knew of. And then two or three years later, he left Nashville, went somewhere. That's it. And that's it. That's it. All right, so allow me to introduce my next guest. Daoud Abudiab is the founder and board president of the Faith and Culture Center. Daoud, thank you very much for joining us, sir. It's a pleasure you, to be with you. You arrived in Middle Tennessee a little later than Abdallah. What was it like for you when you first came here? I arrived in Middle Tennessee in 1998 and took residence in Columbia, Tennessee. And I grew up in Jerusalem, so like Dr. Abdullah, I uh, missed the bigger city, and I would drive up, you know, the 30 minutes to Nashville and enjoyed the many offerings of Nashville. Um, It's where I could get, we were talking earlier, uh, Palestinians are all about food. (laughs) So we would come up for food and a a little bit of culture. Okay. And I enjoyed that. Now when I... Uh, after the pandemic, when I come up to Nashville, the landmarks have changed, so I'm often lost trying to find the newest restaurants. Okay, <laughs> okay, that happens for a lot of us. Um, you settled in Murray County, Columbia, as you said. I understand that you started an Islamic center there. Is that right? That is correct. What were your motivations for starting the center? Um, my wife had met a Kurdish family who was Muslim, And uh, there were a couple of Egyptians in the mall, shopping center, had a shop. And so they they started a prayer group at the back of their shoe store. And uh, we were able to come across another African-American Muslim who is from Colombia. And he said, my life dream has always been to be able to pray in Colombia rather than travel to Nashville. That resonated with my wife, Robin, and I and uh, the few other Muslims, and we, we looked for a small place. It was a garage. We converted that into an Islamic center. A few years later, we, we got into another building, and the group grew to maybe about 50. What was that experience like, creating this group, this community there? Uh, it, it was fun early on. Um, I think it, it was good for our children to, to be able to enjoy prayer in a, in a community, uh, get to know other people. Uh, even though the number was very small, we had people from Bangladesh, Pakistan. I mean, any Islamic center in Middle Tennessee probably has a larger membership than, and diversity than the United Nations. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but in 2008, there, there was an incident that uh, kind of robbed us of that temporarily. Mm. Uh, the firebombing of that center we founded. Did you rebuild? We reestablished. Okay. Uh, in a different building, and uh, that building still is there today, and there's Muslim prayer. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekalona. We're talking this hour with Dr. Abdallah M. Isa and Dawood Abu Diab about the Palestinian community in Middle Tennessee. Please join the conversation and tweet us at This Is Nashville. So, a little bit, a little background into your lives, real quick. Abdallah, can you tell us where you were born? I was born in the little town in northern Palestine, right bordering the Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And then there was a mountain that separates Palestine from Lebanon. And the town had a population of 4,000 people. But it was very, very heavy on education. We had six schools in the town. Mm. One for girls, one for boys, and for three more were mixed, you know, co-ed. And we had a high school with people coming in from different towns. As a boarding school, you know, they could live in there and whatever. It was a wonderful Mm. environment. Yet, we lost all of that Mm -hmm. in 1948. At the time, I was a little kid. May 14, 1948, we were forced out of our town. Jewish militia, forgive me, were shooting at us, and they occupied the little town. So we had to run away across the mountain to Lebanon, hiding behind boulders to avoid machine gun fire. Well, at the time, I had nothing but sandals with no socks, short sleeve shirt, and shorts. That's all. We had nothing else. So you absolutely started over. Absolutely, from zero. Mm-hmm. From zero. And then, you know, we grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. At least I grew up in Beirut, Lebanon. And went to grammar school, high school, and then university in Beirut. I joined the American University of Beirut in Beirut. Mm -hmm. And after graduation, I went to Kuwait for a year. I hated it. (laughs) I didn't like it. So I decided to come to United States to further my studies. I was accepted by Yale University and by the American, I'm sorry, the University of California at Berkeley. I knew nothing about the United States. We had a friend, a Texan, asking Mr. Richard, tell me, this is what I have. I was accepted to Yale and the University of California at Berkeley. Which one do I choose? He said, well, Yale is in the East Coast, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And it snows quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this. The University of California at Berkeley is weather is very much like Lebanon. Mm-hmm. So for, because of that, I chose to go to University of California. Okay. Well, at the University of California at Berkeley, I had a rough time. 
not academic, because I was a good student, and I was appointed as a teaching assistant, you know. But the dean of the graduate school gave us a course, six-credit-hour course. Now, I wanted to prove myself hoping to get a scholarship. I'm just, you know, I'm on my own. Mm -hmm. No government to support me. So every question he asked, I raised my hand, and then he got tired of me. He said, Mr. Isa, please, let's give a chance to other students. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. I assumed Androglisto, he was impressed with me. I asked to see, have an appointment with him, and I got the appointment. He had the, my folder in front of him on his desk. Isa, where are you from? I said, Palestine, sir. He said, where is that? I said, you know, it's south of Lebanon, you know, southwest of Syria, you know, and so on. So. He said, but that's Israel. I said, no, sir. That's Palestine. And he said, well, what do you want to do after you graduate? I said, I want to go home. He said, but where is home? Hmm. I said, my home is occupied by the Jews. And I'll go back to Beirut, Lebanon, wait until my country is liberated. I said, what will you do in Lebanon? I said, well, I'll find a job in my expertise. If I don't find a job, then I will teach Palestinian kids in the camps. Hmm. Boy, I mentioned that, I didn't realize it. He banged on the table, stood up, blushed on me. He said, I have no money for you. Oh, wow. I said, okay, thank you, sir. Went to the door. He said, Isa, come back, come back. Okay. He said, I want you to go to the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. I guarantee you acceptance. I guarantee you a scholarship. And I guarantee you two years after you are there with the citizenship. And then here is a piece of paper. He gave me a piece of paper with the name of Professor A. Alaski. He said, I'm going to call him tonight and tell him to expect a letter from you that you're coming to. I said, no, there. And I think I know the end of the story. You decided not to. Absolutely not. And you, you continued to follow your passion and your dreams, which led you to, from San Francisco, a cosmopolitan Correct. city, to kind of a... A little bit less cosmopolitan, Nashville, (laughs) but you've made your way. But this is interesting to hear about these stories of how people come here because it's I'm I'm just curious about how local Palestinians get to come together despite having these small numbers, despite these struggles that all of you have had in making your way here to Nashville. Daoud, you know, we heard about mosques being meeting places, but, you know, what other opportunities do Palestinian Americans have to gather here? Um, and, and it's wonderful to hear Dr. Abdullah Issa's story because I've heard it from so many Palestinians. Even, even today, I have friends going through medical school and they wonder about whether to publicly claim being Palestinian or not uh, for the ve- very same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, incidentally, when I lived in Colombia, there were not very many Palestinians there, as you would imagine, but... Uh, there was a show about Palestinians uh, locally, and um, I happened to come across uh, a wonderful fellow Palestinian or two, and uh, 
through them, and, and she was a bit more established in this area, uh, got to know other Palestinians. And I would tell you there's always a connection. Mm. I mean, the highlight of my day today is sitting next to your guests today outside in the hallway and learning about one another. And there's always, even though we come from different regions, there's always a common core that brings us together of experiences. Um, you know, when, when we speak, we nod because we go through, we recognize, you know, whether it's the struggle or whether we're talking about the food. We talked about kebab outside and our <laughs> favorite foods. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it is a wonderful experience because it's who we are. Uh, I'll share this with you. When I, when I first came to the United States, I came to Arkansas, to Little Rock. And at the time, people would, would recognize maybe my accent and my name and say, well, so the question is about where you're from. And I love talking about being Palestinian. After the 9-11 attacks, uh, it kind of went away. It was like, oh, you're Muslim. Talk about being Muslim. Mm. And I feel like, you know, one of the biggest... Uh, losses from the 9-11, the tragedy of it, personally was uh, people were no longer interested in being Palestinian. It was more being Muslim. And um, it saddens me a little bit because I think our story needs to be told. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm so appreciative of being part of today uh, and having a small part in it talking about being Palestinian in Middle Tennessee. Well, we're, we're happy to have you here and, and have multiple generations. My next guest is a younger Palestinian-American. I'd like to introduce Isam Bahor. He is an attorney and a Nashville native. Isam, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. You know, you're, you're quite a bit younger than Abdallah and Dawood, but, but tell me, how do their stories resonate you and what you hear from other elders? I mean, their stories definitely resonate with stories I've heard from other community members as well as my own family members. Um, you know, kind of this struggle in uh, the academic and professional circles to, you know, carve out your own identity um, to be able to comfortably identify as Palestinian is something that I've heard, you know, from the older generations, my generation, as well as the younger generation, those students that are coming up in, you know, public and private schools across Middle Tennessee. You know, I understand your parents immigrated from Gaza. Is that right? Yeah, they did. Did you grow up with a strong sense of being Palestinian? I did. Yeah, that was something that my parents um, stressed. And, you know, we still have quite a bit of immediate family in the Gaza Strip and would regularly go spend the summers there. Um, so it's, you know, a core part of my identity growing up. You know, you know, some people may not know that Palestinians are, or there are Palestinians who are Christian and there are some who are Muslim. Isam, would you say that being Palestinian is to be a part of a diaspora? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and, you know, I've been, been fortunate enough to connect with various Palestinians across various Palestinian communities. Um, some of those tend to be, you know, um, more some some of those communities tend to be more Muslim or more Christian, um, like Knoxville, Tennessee, where I attended law school. Um, the, 
the, the community there had a large portion of it that was Palestinian Christian that had been there since the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Daoud, you were just talking about your disappointment after 9-11, that so many Palestinians were just kind of identifying as Muslim. But talk to me about the diversity of the Palestinian community. Um, so as I got to know and learn about other Palestinians in Middle Tennessee, for example, um, there's quite a few that come from Jordan and from Syria from or have lived uh, for a while with their families there and then um, have moved to Tennessee, Kuwait as well. And so there's slight variances. Um, and like uh, Mr. Bahur is from Gaza. You know, growing up, I was born in the city of Jerusalem, 40 days when the war broke out. Mm. Um, There were so many restrictions on travel. You know, one of my deepest deepest regrets is not visiting Nablus enough, not visiting the small towns around Ramallah. Or I went to Gaza for one or two times uh, as a child. Hebron, once or twice. Uh, I didn't get to know, you know, I think in preparation for the show, I had difficulty when I was asked, where is home? Mm. In my heart, it's Philistine, the Arabic word for Palestine. But somehow I feel like it's Swiss cheese, you know. Mm. How can I claim that that I'm Palestinian when I haven't been to so many parts of Palestine. You know, travel is very restricted there. And so I didn't experience the, the culture in, from Gaza. You know, I hear so many good things about it, but I didn't experience it. I had family who lived in Gaza, but I didn't get to visit them. Um, and, I, and I feel like I was also robbed of that. Um, and I'm somewhat restricted now. I I visit once every three years or so. um, And it's so difficult for me to to visit. There's areas I don't want to go to uh, because I feel like I'm second class or third class citizen there or or resident. Mm -hmm. And after living in the United States and experiencing freedom of travel and education and mobility in all of its forms, it's difficult to go back and, and live, you know, f- after the war, I'm, I'm 56, 56 years and I'm going back and I'm living under maybe even worse restrictions on all Palestinians. Uh, and I realized that I was privileged as someone who lived in Jerusalem. It was easier for me than somebody in Gaza or somebody in Bethlehem or Ramallah. Um, it didn't matter if you were Muslim or Christian, you had the same restrictions, uh, whether it's worship, whether it is travel, whether it's work, whether it's college. Mm-hmm. I left after one year at Bethlehem University that I didn't complete because typically it takes, uh, it could be several years at my time in, in the mid-80s to complete an undergraduate degree. And so... When given the opportunity to come and join my brother in Little Rock, I took that. Um, and mm-hmm. I understand. I have a good life, but part of me regrets leaving home. I've got a question. Abdallah, tell me, what, what does home mean to you? 
Nashville is home where I belong. That's, be that's I belong to Nashville, Tennessee. That's my home. My home for the past 53 years, and it is home because we have raised our three daughters in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Got them educated and got them married while living in Nashville, Tennessee. That's my home. There is no other home for me. I couldn't go back to the Middle East. I can tell you stories. In 1968, I wanted to have a citizenship of any place. The only place that was possible may have been Jordan. <laughs> and the Jordanian ambassador to the, the UN was my mentor at the American University of Beirut. I wrote him a letter. Please help me, reminding them who I am and all that stuff. I want a letter that I would love to have uh, your help in getting the Jordanian citizenship. He never responded. Hmm. But his consul general responded, Dear Dr. Abdullah M. Isa, we regret to inform you that we cannot offer you the Jordanian, the Jordanian citizenship at this time. I said, heck with it, you know. The following morning, I went to the immigration office in San Francisco. Good morning, good morning. What can we do for you? I said, sir, I want to apply for immigration. He said, okay, that's the form. You could fill it out and mail it back to us. I took the form and brought it back, handed it in, in person the following morning. Mm -hmm. He said, you'll hear from us in due time. Well, a week later, I was asked to come for an interview. I went there and said, he said, sir, we need your expertise in our country. Mm. Just think about that, the difference between the two ways of thinking. We need your expertise in our country. You will hear from us in due time again. A week later, we got the green card in the mail, one for me, one for my wife. Yes, sir. You know? Yes, Isn't sir. that something? That is really something. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And may God bless America. I, now, wanna, Nick, I can say. I want to thank my guests. That is Dr. Abdallah Isa. He was joined by Daoub Abu Daib, founder and board president of the Faith and Culture Center. Thank you both so much for being with us today and sharing your stories. Yeah. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Isam Bahor will stay with us through the break. When we come back, we'll talk with a new generation of Palestinian Americans about the joys of identity and the coalitions they're building. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. is Nashville. Earlier this month, Israeli forces attacked worshipers at the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. The raid fell during the holy month of Ramadan, while many Palestinians were at the mosque praying. Palestinian witnesses say that Israeli police assaulted the worshipers using stun grenades and tear gas, beating them with batons and forcing them out of the mosque. 
The raid continued overnight, and according to Palestinian officials, 400 were arrested and taken into Israeli custody. Tensions have been high in the region for months, and a raid like this one is not an isolated incident. Now, it can be difficult to get a detailed picture of what's going on in a region far from our own. But here in Tennessee, Palestinian Americans and allies want to keep the struggle of Palestine alive and visible. A few weeks ago, our executive producer, Andrea Tudhope, attended a rally downtown held in solidarity for Palestinians after the attack on Al-Aqsa. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free! It's a cool, cloudy Saturday morning, and a few dozen people have gathered on the steps outside of City Hall. They're here to show their support for Palestine. The early April attack on Al-Aqsa was not new or unprecedented. Even still, 22-year-old Nashvillian Safa Khan felt the pain. I felt so hurt on the day that I saw in the media all of the fireworks that were being shot into the masjid and just like all of the people like on the ground like tied up. That is what inspired me to like have this rally today and like have people come and like stand out and stand together. I think that there's power in our voices. She organized today's rally. Safa is not Palestinian, but she is Muslim. All of the Muslim community in the whole entire world, like we feel the pain, like when somebody else feels pain, like we also feel the pain of them. Hutefa Walker feels the same. Uh, my personal connection is that I, myself, am, I'm a Muslim, so, and also I'm just a, a human. If I see something wrong, it's only, it's only right that I say something. There's also a group of Palestinian Americans who came out today from Murfreesboro, like Arij Ahmad. We're here to, you know, voice what others can't overseas in Palestine. Their demands are so simple. Remember Palestine. Acknowledge Palestine. We have to remind people that these issues still happen. People are like, oh, well, it's been happening for years, but we still have to talk about it every single year. Even though it's happened for years, we want to stop it from happening. It doesn't change. It does not change. It doesn't change. So I think our goal is to try to raise awareness every year as much as we can, hoping for a change, hoping for people to stand up and realize like what's happening. Hopefully we get to go back to our country one day, a peaceful country. That was Dina Ahmad, Rehsan Haj Hussein, and Rand Hassan. Rand's grandparents were born and raised in Palestine, but fled to protect their family, a story that's not unusual. They dreamed of a future in their homeland, that they could live freely in their homeland, but unfortunately, the future was not to be. When my grandparents were still young, they were forced to flee their home due to political conflict and the ongoing occupation that is happening in Palestine. I did not get the chance to be raised in my own homeland. My grandparents were so scared that they did not see future for their kids in their own land. This is why we're here today. Palestines are scattered all over the world. They're scattered all over the world. They just want the chance, the choice for them to go back to their land. Tabarakta Rabbana wa ta'alayt 
نستغفرك اللهم من كل الذنوب والخطايا ونتوب إليك اللهم قسم لنا Rand Hassan, who we just heard from, joins us now in studio. Rand, welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for being here. Of course. What was it like for you to attend that rally that we just heard about? It was it was really inspiring. I've lived here for two years, and this was my first rally. I've heard I know Safa, and I've heard like I know her, and she she posted about the rally, and I was like, yeah, of course I'll be there as a Palestinian. It was important for me to be there. It was important for me to represent my community. So as soon as I heard, I was there, and I felt inspired. I felt glad that there are people here that showed up on a Sunday morning to support Palestine and to talk more about the issue. And honestly, it was really great. It was a really great feeling. Mm. Now, I understand you're a pre-med student at MTSU, I right? am a pre-med student. You know, a lot of times colleges and clubs, they have like groups to help students find each other and to find community. Is there a Palestinian group at MTSU? A specific Palestinian group is not in, in MTSU. I'm hoping to start one, really, because it is a really cool idea that I just, like, it's not happening right now. We have MSA, Muslim communities. Okay. But a Palestinian one that's targeting Palestinians is not there yet. But we will hope to open one soon. Are Palestinian students able to find each other and build community, even yes. though there's not an organization for Again, them? yeah, uh, because we most of the Palestinians are Muslim. Muslim, Muslim communities, Muslim uh, societies are there for us to get to know each other. This is where we know each other. Again, there's ICM, uh, Islamic Center in Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. This is where I met most of the Palestinians. But a club that would uh, join Palestinians from Nashville and Murfreesboro would be a great idea that I think we will expand more about. Mm-hmm. Also joining us is the organizer of the April 16th rally, Safa Khan. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville, Safa. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Great, great to have you with us. You know, tell us, as you were getting word out about that rally, did other groups of people want to get involved? Um, yeah, I think that it, um, we had a lot of different types of people trying to help us, but it was uh, very difficult to try to explain to people who were not Palestinian, you know, like, why are we doing this? Um, some people were under the assumption that uh, this is just a Muslim issue. So I kind of had to explain to them, like, this is not just a Muslim issue. This is like a human rights issue that's happening. And like Rand said, um, like um, most of the responses I got was like, okay, this happens every single year. Like, what's the point of, you know, coming out here and doing this again? Um, I replied to them like um, the same thing, like just because it's happening every year does not mean that it's right. I I think it's extremely important that we don't, that we aren't silenced. You know what I mean? I feel like this is um, even more of a reason that like we need to be more upset and we need to really call people who can actually help change the situation that's happening. It's, it's not okay that this has been happening for so many years and nothing has been done about it. Now, Nashvillian and attorney Isam Bahur is still with us. Thank you again for being here, Isam. Now, back in 2021, there was a Palestinian rally downtown that drew a couple of hundred people out. Isam, I understand you helped organize that, right? Yes, I did. Now, the, the rally on the 16th was organized by Safa, someone who is not Palestinian. Tell, what does that tell you? Um, well, I mean, for one thing, I'm very proud of Safa and the work that she's been doing. Um, I think that it shows that we've been able, as Palestinians, to kind of get the message out there 
um, that, you know, a lot of people across the Muslim community, not Muslim community and across, you know, multitude of faiths are kind of starting to identify um, the Palestinian issue as sort of a litmus test um, for, you know, settler colonialism and, you know, apartheid. Rand, what does this movement of people coalescing from all different backgrounds to coming together for this common cause, what does that tell you? That, uh, that tells me, that tells everyone that this movement isn't centered or isn't targeting a certain, a, a certain audience, for example. Having non-Palestinians and Palestinians organize rallies for a single cause shows tells you that this is a human right issue. This is something that um, people should not be arguing about. We're not saying something random or an opinion. This is a fact. The fact is Palestine uh, has been taken over by Israel. Palestine is still here. That tells you that a lot of people understand that. And it's really cool that non-Palestinians are here uh, organizing rallies. It just confirms the idea that people are here, people are willing to help. We just need more people to listen. Mm. On that note, you know, over the years, many other countries have, and communities, pardon me, have been able to come out in support of the for Palestinian Americans. If, for example, in 2018, Black Lives Matter Nashville issued a statement of solidarity with the Palestinian community. Is, Isam, how did you respond when you heard that statement? Um, I was definitely very happy. I think cross solidarity is important. Um, I think it's also important that as Palestinians, we continue to be active and voice our support um, for these other movements like Black Lives Matter as well. You know, it's it's come at a time where if we look at our pol politics here in the country, a lot of polarization, a lot of people are on one side or the other. Safa, what does that tell you about different groups of people coming together for an issue that's really taking place on the other side of the world? I think that um, it is, it really shows us the power of media, you know, and I feel like um, I've been kind of keeping up with the news. I've seen like rallies for Palestine happening all over the country and um also, you know, rallies for or protests for other situations, such as like the gun laws and everything else that's happening. Um, I feel like it really sh like shows us that right now is the best time more than ever to stand up against something that's wrong and to help other people recognize that. So that was kind of the reason that I wanted to have this rally in Nashville, knowing that, you know, our community might not be as big here of Palestinians or of people who really know about this issue. But if we can, you know, get it into the media, like, okay, this is, this is happening. There's these people that are being hurt, that are being oppressed. Like maybe one more person will learn about it. And maybe that one more person can make a difference. You know, we had some of the older palace generation on the show earlier. And Rand, you mentioned your grandparents were at the rally. How was the younger generation drawing inspiration from your elders? Um, I I would think that the younger a lot of the younger generations didn't really weren't born in Palestine. Uh, a lot of the younger generations heard stories about Palestine from their grandparents. Uh, like all I know about Palestine is from my grandfather, from my relatives, from all the older gen generations. This is why 
it is important to remember because we didn't grow up in Palestine. So it's easy for us to forget Palestine. It's easy for us to forget these stories. That's why you have to remember, you have to ask older generations because um, if I didn't have my grandfather telling me these stories, I wouldn't be as connected to these issues as I am right now. It is important that uh, younger generations connect because we we are at risk of forgetting Palestine. We are at risk of forgetting the stories and the, the reason, the cause is because we want to go back to our own countries. We are Palestine. So, yeah. Yeah, older generations are really important. Now, Isam, you, you're this bridge between the older generation and the new one. That's a unique position to be in. So tell me, what do you think can help build a stronger sense of Palestinian community here? You've got about 45 seconds. Yeah, I think um, something that can help build a stronger community here is just, you know, um, to all Palestinians, you know, older generation my generation and then some of the newer generations is to really be, you know, active and present. Um, I think that historically Palestinians, especially in the U.S., were always afraid of missing out on like academic opportunities and employment opportunities. We're starting to see a shift um, with people willing to, you know, fight that battle and say, hey, you know, I'm Palestinian. I'm going to identify and be active and you know, advocate for justice and liberation. Um, and, you know, if you want to take away opportunities from me, so be it. Um, so we're really starting to see Palestinians step forward into the light. And I think that that's an important step forward that needs to be continuing, especially now as kind of some of the, you know, Zionist money is flowing into, you know, academic circles where we're seeing, you know, professors um, being yeah. fired or not given tenure. We're going um, to we're, we're have to end it here, my friend. I want to thank all of my guests. That is Isam Bahor, Ran Hassan and Safa Khan. Thank you all for being with us today. And thank you for tuning in this hour. Tomorrow, Tennessee is one of the top five states in the nation for road rage incidents. What led us here and how could we become less aggressive on the road? This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Rashed Fakhrudin and Remzia Suleiman. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram. Tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Be good to each other.